Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why some people are afraid of robots with robotics researcher Ruth Aylett. And one specific piece of music that can reduce epilepsy seizures, although researchers have no idea why. Let's satisfy some curiosity. From 2001's HAL 9000 to Terminator's Skynet, Western pop culture is full of terrifying robots. So it's no wonder that the people who consume that media kind of fear them too. But according to today's guest, it doesn't have to be this way. And it's not in every culture. Ruth Aylett is a professor of computer science at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. She's been a robotics researcher for 30 years and co-authored a recent book that touches on why people are so afraid of robots. So we asked her, why are people so afraid of robots? Let me say this is very much a Western thing. You don't find this so much in Japan. Uh, People have different attitudes. And it's really part of our attitude towards technology, not just robots. So if you go back to Frankenstein's monster, for instance... If you come a little way forward and you look at Disney and the Sorcerer's Apprentice and all those autonomous brooms getting out of hand, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a very nice piece of um, animation. So this this feeling that our technology will escape from our control is very deeply embedded in our own culture, although not in Japanese culture, as far as we can tell. I think it's part of a cultural matrix that goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. So there's this idea of hubris trying to make yourself as good as the gods, which will undoubtedly at some point give you nemesis, where everything will go really badly wrong. And this comes into the Judeo-Christian tradition as well. Our God is a proud God of his own reputation, and people should not aspire to godlike abilities. Indeed, um, the whole story of science in the medieval period was of the church trying to stomp it into the ground because it demonstrated the deadly sin of pride. So this idea that technology is somehow challenging the gods, a risky enterprise, going to get you punished at some point, uh, really does go a long way back in our own culture. And I think robots are part of that. I don't think they're unique, in fact. Uh, We're generally scared of technology and what it might do. Robots have an additional layer to this because we're very prone to imply um, intentionality, uh, goals, purpose, into things that don't have them. So originally, every spring had a god. The weather was controlled by gods. The crops were controlled by gods. This was a kind of intentionality that made things happen, which you had to know about in order to to live your life. Now, we think machines have intentionality quite often, even machines that don't look very human. So if you've ever seen that notice above a photocopier, I have, never let this machine know you're in a hurry. Yeah, malicious photocopiers. Um, And then add a little bit of it looks a little bit human into it. Then you're going to get people imputing intentions, goals and so on. But in some sense, you know, it's a machine. So are its goals going to be okay? Is it going to be like one of those vengeful gods that does its own thing, that has intentions, but may not be beneficent intentions? So I think that slightly human-looking thing about robots, humanoid, if you like, reinforces this much more deep-seated fear of technology getting out of control. And then the media play on this. So it's true that the media misrepresent robots particularly, but other technology as well. But why do they do this? They do it because nobody ever lost money by producing scare stories about technology. 
Yeah, so they play on this deep-seated cultural aspect for their own reasons, um, because they think people love to be scared of robots. And it's true. I mean, we love to be scared of zombies as well, except we're pretty clear that zombies aren't real. <laughs> and we're less clear about robots. I, I call these robots of the imagination. Uh, people have an imagined version of robots. And really, the book is about the difference between those imagined robots and the ones we actually have and are likely to have in the almost indefinite future, which are bits of machinery, basically. So what are the big differences between the robots that we have in our head and the robots that are portrayed by the media and what actual robots are and can do? Oh, well, they, they start at the most basic fundamental level of being able to move around, know where you are, know what you're looking at. So you don't see any two-legged robots out there doing anything other than research. That's because they're unstable. Okay. Our stability in two-legged walking depends on a very sophisticated muscular system with a lot of bounce and give in the muscles, which is linked up to our balance system. Every time you take a step, you're unbalancing. You take a step forward and you're outside your center of gravity immediately and you fall onto the foot, essentially. So walking is a controlled falling. In robots, are not so controlled falling quite often. Yeah, so it's very difficult to get robots to work. As bipedal organisms, you'll find nearly all robots are either on wheels or have more than two legs. Four legs, not so bad, because you're quite stable on four legs. Two legs, very tricky. And you won't see these around people in the immediate future, because if one of those falls on somebody, they'll know about it. These are quite heavy lumps of metal. So there is a basic health and safety issue. So that's one issue, just moving around. Power. Yeah. If you eat a meal, you could last on that meal without eating anything else and still remain mobile for probably for a week. You might not feel very good by the end of the week. As long as you had a bit of water, you'd manage. Robot batteries, particularly for walking robots, run out in something between half an hour and three hours at most. So if robots are going to take over the world, they better do it quickly and not have any stairs, I always say. So what I'm trying to say here is there are so many things that we take for granted, which have to be implemented with a great deal of effort in robots. And that's why robots work best, not in general purpose environments, but in little niches where we can cover the special aspects of what they have to do in that space reasonably comprehensively. Take them out of that space, different issue. So this inability to be general, to work generally in the world. It's not a problem that we're going to solve anytime soon with robots. Good to know that a robot who can take over the world isn't coming down the pike anytime soon. Again, that was Ruth Aylett, a professor of computer science at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. She's also the co-author of a new book, Living with Robots, What Every Anxious Human Needs to Know. You can find links to the book and more from Ruth in today's show notes. And she'll be back tomorrow to explain why designing robots that look like humans is the wrong approach. You've probably heard of the Mozart effect. That's the idea that listening to classical music makes babies smarter. Well, unfortunately, the Mozart effect isn't real. But it turns out that one of Mozart's sonatas does have an effect. It appears to help people with epilepsy. Epilepsy is a serious condition where the brain occasionally sparks seizures. A lot of people manage epilepsy with drugs or surgery. 
but there's a form of the condition called refractory focal epilepsy that doctors haven't figured out how to treat. And that's where Mozart comes in. Mozart's Sonata for Two Pianos in D Major is a driving, spirited piece featuring two pianos that chase each other through complex musical phrases. It's full of surprises, and the researchers think it might create moments of anticipation that are so powerful they can prevent seizures. When people with epilepsy are in between seizures, their brains occasionally show unusual patterns of activity called interictal epileptiform discharges, or IEDs. The frequency of IEDs is associated with the frequency of seizures. So researchers think that reducing the number of IEDs a person experiences will reduce the number of seizures that they have to endure. For a recent study, researchers brought 16 people with refractory focal epilepsy into the lab. These volunteers already had electrodes implanted in their brains to monitor seizure activity, and those let the researchers track what was going on in their brains as they listened to different music. Every participant listened to the Mozart Sonata and a few other classical pieces. And then each participant listened to music they liked. We're talking Judas Priest, Buddy Holly, and Nickelback. They found that after 30 seconds of listening to the Mozart Sonata, the frequency of IEDs fell on average. But get this. It was the only piece of music that had that effect. Nothing else worked. Not even Nickelback. If you're asking yourself what's going on here, then you're not alone. The researchers are too. And they do have some ideas. The effect appears to be stronger after longer segments within the piece than shorter ones. Segments lasting 10 seconds or more. It could be that a longer period of musical anticipation is better at reducing seizure activity. It's important to note that this was a small study, and the effects didn't last after the piece was over. But the researchers have big plans for the future. Once they understand what's so special about this piece, they might be able to create music that has the same effect. With that information, it could be possible to create a whole genre of anti-epileptic music that people with epilepsy might turn to for relief. And I think it's safe to say that that would be music to everyone's ears. All right, well, let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that a fear of robots basically comes down to culture. The idea that our technology will escape from our control is prominent in Western media, but you don't really see it in other places like Japan. People also tend to apply intentionality to things that aren't human, from your copy machine to beliefs about vengeful gods. And of course, there's a lot of money to be made by making movies and TV shows that play off of our fears about technology. And that all adds up to a pretty irrational fear. Right. And the robots we have in our head are a lot different from the robots that exist in the real world. Like we've talked about on the show before, the robots and AI we've developed work best doing highly specialized tasks, not in general purpose environments. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So don't be afraid of robots. What's the most terrifying robot that you can think of, Cody? Uh... I could give you a suggestion because you just finished playing Metroid. <laughs> oh, Those robots are pretty scary. The Emmys. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty terrifying. Also, IG-88, the bounty hunter from the Star Wars universe. Oh. Kind of scary looking. Yeah. Scary looking droid bounty hunter. I was, I was, because I was, you know, I was like trying to think of 
robots to kind of start this script with, basically. It was like, yeah, Terminator, yeah, HAL 9000. But you know what's really terrifying to me are the robots that are very human-like and they seem really good in the beginning of the movie or the show. And then little by little, you start to realize, oh, they, they have no empathy. They, they do not care about the humans around them. And they would kill those humans in a second. Like, I'm thinking Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. There's like a, a beautiful lady robot who ends up being really scary. I'm also watching Foundation. There's also a beautiful lady robot in that one that is also pretty scary to me. I mean, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm we're trying to say... Like we're this whole interview was about how you shouldn't be afraid of robots. And it's because robots like that are not going to exist soon. We we don't need to worry about them. The robots that will exist are going to be really specialized for what they do. So, yeah. Maybe a good cure for this is just watch a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation. I know Data's an android, not a robot, but, you know. Yeah, he's a good he's he's one of the good ones. That is correct. Domo Arigato. And we learned that certain music might help people with epilepsy reduce their seizure frequency. Certain music, in this case, being Mozart's Sonata for two pianos in D major, which actually reduced seizure activity in 16 patients. The researchers think something about the long periods of anticipation in the music is what does it. Once they figure out exactly what the magic ingredient is, they might be able to create anti-epileptic music that could help people with epilepsy find relief. And would you feel okay if that was partly created using AI? <sighs> I'd be I'd be fine with it. Really, with these what what they need to listen to is like a really good jazz solo because the best jazz solos just create anticipation on top of anticipation on top of anticipation. That's I mean, a lot of people when they listen to a jazz solo, they just hear noise, and I know that I might be on alone in this, but when you know how to listen, jazz solos can be incredibly anticipatory it's it's great just the release is is fantastic oh my friend andy in college had the best analogy because he was a music major huge music nerd or at least a minor and he would say something like he would say that something would be so awful it would be like an unresolved tritone for like 24 hours that's really nerdy it's so (laughs) no one's gonna get that I wish I remember the exact analogy he used. We've lost everyone. Boy, we really have. The entire audience. (laughs) We will often talk about quantum physics and black holes, but today (laughs) we lost people with music. Yeah, yeah. Well, go lose yourself in some music. Go check out some, you know, Mozart, Beethoven. They're all good. Yeah. Oh, one more really good anticipatory piece if you're into classical music. Barber's Adagio for Strings. Oh, it's like 12 minutes of buildup. It's incredible. Listen to it. There you go. The writer for today's Mozart story was Grant Curran. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Gaw. Join us again tomorrow. I can almost promise that we're not going to get super music theory nerdy, because why would we do that? And we'll help you learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.